Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and from BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Today on the show, we're speaking to Connie Fogel, a Vancouver mayoral candidate running with Idea Vancouver. She was born and raised in Vancouver, is a retired lawyer who has served as Vancouver Park Board Commissioner, leader of the Canadian Action Party, and as a spokesperson for Citizens Against Gambling Expansion. She happens to be the widow of Harry Rankin, who was a long-serving Vancouver City Councillor and the founder of the Committee of Progressive Electors, Cope. She joins me today in studio. Thanks for coming in. Thank you very much for having me. Why are you running for Mayor of Vancouver? Well, I've just been so unhappy with what's happened to this city in the last 15, 20 years. It's basically been totally changed. It's not the beautiful, lovable, livable city that Vancouver was. And so much of what the direction has been, the, the, the restructuring of Vancouver, actually the demolition of Vancouver, destroying beautiful homes, it's like breaks my heart every time I drive in and out of this city, see those beautiful boulevards just all changed. Just a real sense of deep unhappiness with what's happening to this city and thinking, well, put my money where my mouth is, I guess, and maybe I should, I should try to see if I can help to mm-hmm. reestablish the Vancouver that we had. I'm not sure it's possible, but it's worth a try. Where would you recommend we start? Well, if, I'll tell you a couple of things I would really do right off the bat. The first thing I would do if I had the, uh, the support of the council, you know, was I would, I would introduce a form of recall because our politicians let us down everywhere. <clears throat> and the form of recall that would be easy would to change Vancouver back to a two-year session um, for municipal or municipal levels. We had that at one point. And the thing is, when people get elected and then they, they, as soon as they get in, they raise their salaries and they extend the time that they're going to sit, like that's so much self-interest and it's just not what a politician should be about. You should be there. Whether you're a politician or whether you're a bureaucrat in the system, your intention and practice should be to serve the public good, to serve the public interest, to know the difference between that and your self-interest. So um, that would be a a start that I would like to see. The other thing is, um, you know, the crisis of Vancouver has been driven by the, the, the drugs in this city. And it's been going on for a long time, and it has just escalated. And of course, there's good work being done right now, good good reporting being done, and good work by David Ebby, you know, in in his effort to deal with the the uh, the drug cartels and the gambling, and recognizing, and it's coming out in the literature that. Um, you know, the housing crisis in Vancouver has been driven by the money laundering through the real estate. And that has so dramatically, devastatingly changed this city. Um, I mean, we've got these horrible towers that, that knock off. We can't see our beautiful mountains in many parts of the city anymore, unless you happen to live on the top of a high rise who happens to have not another high rise sitting in front of you. Uh, you can't knock those buildings down, but we could stop anymore. That would be one thing I would certainly do. I would stop the densification of Vancouver. <clears throat> we don't need to have the whole world living in Vancouver. We need to have a Vancouver as it was, where there's movement, ability, capacity, back and forth for people who come here to study, come here to work, come here to learn, come here to contribute. We don't need to be a tourist city. We don't need to be a city with great big buildings, owned with units in them, owned by offshore people who don't ever live here, ever even come here. Like, that's insanity. That 
that should never have been allowed to develop. So at least stop the continuation of that would be a very big, important point. The The whole business of the kind of taxing that they're doing as a means to try to create housing for the many people who desperately need it is not going to work. I mean, if you they've got this speculation tax here in Vancouver and this province is doing the same thing, trying to force people who have spaces, open them up to let people live in them, you know, a foreign landlord is not going to do that. He'll just pay the tax. If he's a wealthy person who's parking his money somewhere, he'll just pay the tax. So it's a tax grab, isn't it, you know? And the money won't necessarily be used for what they say it's going to. It won't be used for housing because they just don't do that. They take it from one place and then they put it in whatever, someplace else. So those are, you know, those are the, the, the main issues for me. Um, I mean, if you're a an ordinary little citizen who happens to have a home and you happen to have a second home someplace which was a dream of many Canadians as you work and you study and you struggle and you develop your life and you get to a point finally where you can afford to have a vacation home and now you're not allowed to leave it empty for a certain number of years you have or months you have to open it up to somebody to live in well, that's an insanity too, because what security is there in that for a tenant? They've got they can move in and live for six months, and then what? And then where do they go? And and what good is that for an owner who um, going away for a period of time or whatever and leaves it? And then there's all the insecurity that goes with opening that up to people that are not necessarily going to be long term. So it's 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 those solutions don't work. We have to go back to the kind of practices that this country did so well for so many years you know, after the Second World War, where our governments specifically and deliberately um, used our Bank of Canada, actually, and put funding into communities specifically for housing. We have the Central Mortgage and Housing Corporation. We have to do those kinds of things. Government has to get involved in providing funding. It has to be low-cost funding. We can get it from the Bank of Canada. Um So that we can build the structures to house the many people who can't who are not on a stage yet in their lives and maybe never will be to buy a home. Um, and, you know, a private owner, a private developer is not going, he, their business is to make a profit. I don't fault them for that. But the reality is they can't provide the housing for the masses of people, students, young people coming along, working in service industry, young professionals. You know, this is the struggle of making your way up as has been Canada's way of our possibility, a wonderful reason for living here, you could work your way up the ladder from the time when you were young and then gradually get to a good position and live comfortably and well in this country. Right. So in Vancouver, we now have a, a city housing plan, a strategy, and there's also the official community plans that vary community to community. Would you keep those? Would you build upon them? Would you change them? I, I, they, it all has to be scratched, I think, because, it, you know, the agenda that's driving <clears throat> those plans right now, I mean, this whole business that the city just did, you know, rezoning the entire city, 99% of the city, into um, the ability du- to place duplexes. duplexes. Right. That's insanity. I mean, we, why would, you know, did, where else in the world, is there any place else in the world where the politicians move in and run roughshod over and demolish, be, think of the cost and the waste of that, beautiful homes, beautiful gardens, 
and the pressure that comes when you allow this kind of development to happen uh, from a developer onto the individual homeowner, somebody might want to stay, but they can't because there's a pressure from somebody else is doing whatever. That's not my idea of how I want to live. I do not want to live in a Manhattan or a Beijing or a Dubai or a Hong Kong. Some people do. They can, they can do that. Vancouver wasn't that. This is what they've changed Vancouver into being. And this has been a goal, you know, for a while. It's very interesting. Three or four years ago, I was in Ireland. <clears throat> and in a newspaper, I think it was the Irish Times, there was an interview of Bob Rennie, who was a local developer mm-hmm. and the bag man for Vision at the time, who was very pleased with himself and bragging about the fact that he was in control of the city of Vancouver and that the goal, he said it then, the goal was that Vancouver would have no single family dwelling. It would all be towers and townhouses. I was just so shocked when I saw that, but it's, it's what they've been doing. So there's, there's an agenda behind the scenes, uh, the talk of trying to involve the communities and whatever, and whatever plans they put forward. It's, it's all a, it's all a sham. So we have to go back. We have to look at it all hard and close and go back to really involving the communities. We should probably have a ward system, you know, so the communities would actively be involved. And in fact, you know, we've got these so-called plans, but communities, and to some extent, have presumably been allowed to participate. They've been able to come and talk, but then it's all just been ignored and projects have been rammed down their throats. That's so bad. So, so, so bad. It's unbelievable. If elected, you'd of course be inheriting a housing crisis, yeah. and there are many developments currently in various stages of yeah. progression. Would you would you put a pause on that? I, well, I would certainly uh, put a halt in anything new. I would just say everything has to has to be stopped. Um, things that are in process, it's probably pretty hard to. I mean, it's worth looking at it, but there's a lot, there'd be so much involved financially, so many things involved that, that you couldn't just wholeheartedly just stop absolutely everything. But anymore, I would certainly have a stop. And I would, I mean, quite frankly, I don't mind saying, I don't want the densification. Enough of it. Enough already. We don't need any more. You know, people say, well, you know, we have to accommodate people. This is a great big country. A good, beautiful, lovely country. This is wonderful weather here. This is where everybody wants to live here, for one thing. And we used to have such a beautiful scene, you know, with water in the mountains. Um, But we have to help people to spread out so they can live, love, learn, grow in a happy, healthy way. And maybe that means we have to go back to what we used to do, encouraging various kinds of industry to settle and locate someplace away from the densification so people can go someplace else to those jobs. People need to work. They come here for work. Young people come here for the excitement of a great big city. I mean, I understand that. And there's there's that. Vancouver has that. There's there's a life like that. But if you're trying to make your way um, eventually as a family life, you can't stick families in 500 square feet, even 1,200 square feet, with no backyards anymore, no place for children to play. You're going to do these duplexes, add more lane houses, and we've done nothing for transportation. Right now, it's a, it's a nightmare. I have moved over to the Kits- back to the Kitsilano area, which is about one of the nicest places, and it hasn't been damaged yet. They're in the process of trying to do that. But, you know, already your back alleys are filled with vehicles trying to park someplace. And if you're going to have more housing, two and three and four houses with two and three and four more cars, it's insanity. Mm. Insanity. 
what would you say to businesses who are currently based in Vancouver and are really, really struggling to find mm. the workers that they need in part because of the housing Absolutely. affordability issue, especially when we look at businesses that can't necessarily afford to pay that much more in salary. Absolutely. How would you handle that issue? Well, that's part of the long-term correction that has to take place. But, you know, it's not, it's quite, really not that many years ago that someone was saying the direction that Vancouver was taking was precisely going to be what you just described. Um, business won't be able to stay here. Young professionals won't be able to, to, to come here to work. We will be nothing but a city of towers, of expensive units owned by somebody that doesn't even live here, and those fortunate people who were original Vancouverites who had homes and are still living here, struggling more and more as they're taxed more and more, that that's what kind of a city we would be. And, you know, it's come to pass. Um, so so then all we would have is young people that would be service, working in the Starbucks or working whatever, but like you say, they can't. They, they, they can't make enough money to pay for their rent. And young people having to live three and four and five people in a very small space. And why there are so many coffee shops is because people have to leave their so-called homes in order to breathe, in order to be able to be comfortable. You know, they have a place like a hobby hole to go in to sleep. This is such insanity. I can hardly believe that this has come to pass in this beautiful country of ours with so many resources so much opportunity that we had, so much of a better place in the world to live. I mean, it's why for people, for politicians to come in and do this to us. And, you know, they have had to, they've been submitting to an agenda and a power and an elite from somewhere else who's, who's been able to put pressure on them and they've submitted to it. I mean, it's just, it's so wrong. That's why I say a core thing has to be to get, be able to get rid of these people that go in as politicians. You know, what happens to people? They sound good when they're coming along. They get in there, they rub shoulders with the rich and the powerful, and they start thinking they're more important than, I mean, they start thinking they're really important people, and, and, and it's easy to be corrupted. And, you know, the big driving force, the thing about the drugs and the money, it's, it's an evil, an immorality of corruption that is a core something we have to come to grips with that this this kind of lifestyle is running us driving us controlling us and you have to have strong politicians with courage strong policing with courage i mean i just read a book on the drug cartels in mexico and of course there were colombia and then mexico and they talked about coming to us and then up to canada and it's such a scary book because you talk about, like, they're in such control. They control everything. And in Mexico, the only policing force that can do anything with them is the military. Everything else is corrupt. So that's a big, big job. I give much credit to David Eby for what he's trying to do. And, and, and that role in Vancouver, I mean, we need people with courage because you're going up against awful, awful groups, whether they're Hells Angels or, 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 people, drug cartels from Macau or from Beijing or from Hong Kong, which have been identified as places, or from Mexico or from Colombia. It doesn't matter where they're from. The point is, those are powerful people and they're, 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 I hate to use the word, but it's, it's an evil, it's an evil force, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, so we need very powerfully strong, courageous leaders in the policing area, strong, competent, honest people. And we need that in the, in the in the political level, and they have to have courage, and they have to have, they need to have security systems around them because it. We know 
from what we're reading from other jurisdictions, the strength and power of those organizations and how what they do. And so it's not easy. I mean, I'm not pretending it's easy. I'm not pretending I can snap my fingers or wave a magic wand. I'm just saying we have to face it honestly. And until we do, the little businessmen, they're going to go, I just had an email from a young fellow. I'm not sure how young he was. A fellow that ran a small business of some kind in the commercial drive area. And he was, because he had read what I had written about going after the drug cartels and dealing with that issue. And he said, you know, uh, we moved in and we were there functioning for a little while. And then somebody came into our our uh, store one day and they said we have some special cannabis as it happened to be at that time which and I cannabis is good I'm not against cannabis uh, but it happened to be a form of drugs and he dropped them one day and he said well I'll be back you know in a couple of days and he came back in another day and he said look this person said to the owner you do business with us or you're out we're hell's angels and we run East Vancouver now a small businessman I mean he's scared out of his wits, you know, and to, to, to be controlled like that. I mean, that happens. That happens. I mean, it happened in all big cities, you know, the drug, the mobs, whatever, over time. It's always been there. And so it's a, it's a constant struggle, has always been. It's not new. It's just that it's run, it's been allowed to mm. run rampant here. There's been nobody with courage. We've had politicians who have actually, we know they've been on the take. We know they've done bad things. Their names are coming out. You know, involvement in the casinos, I was very active in the Citizens Against Gambling expansion. I spoke a lot on that. And we used the literature from all the jurisdictions, and they, which talked about all the harm, the, diff, the things that would happen. Didn't need to happen to us, but it has because our politicians got into it. I, I happen to live on Commercial Drive. I can't speak to the, to the drug issue. Case, yeah. However, walking around, I, I can't help but notice a number of empty storefronts. Oh, yeah. That is a big affordability issue that, that businesses are facing. And you've touched on the fact that many of these issues are either regional, they're national, or perhaps international in nature. But if elected within your capacity as mayor of Vancouver, what would you do to help those businesses? Well, of course, you have to, that the leader, the, 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 the political leader, the mayor, would have to work with the other levels of government. And you really would have to work very hard to coordinate things. And one of the first things I would want to do is make Vancouver very active in David Ebby's efforts. I mean, we've got a leader in British Columbia. Give him credit to take this on. I mean, he worked in the Pivot Legal Society, you know, when he was a lawyer. And I'm, <clears throat> I was a lawyer. I'm a retired lawyer. And I, and I know how hard these things are, but we've got some leadership happening. So that would be the first thing I would think we, as a city, had to get involved in deeply, heavily, participated, put our time, our effort, and, and, and work in ways that are, that are going to function. Not just these committees where people are going to sit and talk and nothing goes anywhere. But, I mean, hardcore contribution, putting your money where your mouth is, and probably your life. I mean, I, I believe that. And it's, so we need to have support from people all around us. We need to have the community saying, we want you to do this. We're with you. We'll stand with you. Um, you're going to take a courageous end. We'll be there beside you. Um, I mean, it's not, it, it's, everybody has to participate in this contribution, in this sacrifice in a way of your life to move your community to safety. I mean, those are not platitudinous words. I'm so tired of listening to politicians speak in platitudes. You know, I've lived long enough, done enough myself, studied enough, know enough of what's going on in the world. 
And there are many, many, many good people with many capabilities of contribution, and they're all around us. They're in people that are offering themselves as for service as politicians. They're ordinary citizens all around who want to come up and help you. I have people coming up to me and saying, I, what can I do to help you? You know, I want to help. They feel they want something to be done. They don't know what to do. They just need a little direction. So as a mayor, that's one of the things I would do is try to set up kind of community kinds of things where people can specifically and actively be involved in protecting their community, in shaping their community, living in their community, being happy in their community. You mentioned earlier the issue of transportation, particularly as it connects to the housing issue as well. What would be your priorities on the transportation file? Oh boy, that's an important, very important big one. And it's just insanity too that we have no transportation. We don't have the infrastructure to support all this densification they're doing. It's, it's part of the insanity. I don't understand. Oh, I, I guess there's such a corruption that they don't care, you know. But um, we have to have more buses, more bus routes, dedicated lanes. We can, we can do that. The buses have got to run frequently and they've got to run all over the city. Um, more real subways. It's too bad the kind of SkyTrain that we got, you know, which was foisted on us is one of the only two types in the world that has a, the narrow rail so they can't make bigger. But everywhere else, they, 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 the compartments are very large and they accommodate a lot of people. When you go to other countries in the world and ride on their subways, and so many people get in them and ours are so minuscule. Unfortunately, we're stuck with that. But as we build other lines, they should be separated um, and built with a different kind of a construction that's built everywhere else around the world. So that we so that we have uh, more flexibility with that, but that has to happen. This whole route there should it should have gone all the way to UBC to have it stopped. They stopped it somewhere along the line. It's <clears throat> it's it's no good. Th that has to happen. I mean, the massy the, the tunnels out of the country, out of the city. I don't know what the holdup with the politician is. Why that new bridge isn't isn't getting going? Not the bridge, the, tu the tunnel. You know, um, you know this city, the Lower Mainland, a beautiful beautiful part of Canada water, bridges. If we have an environmental disaster, we'll never get out. We have to think about that. We have to think of ways of helping people, first of all, to live to know, you know, the whole business of emergency preparedness, not, there's not anywhere near enough attention being done on that. Um, m maybe, I mean, we've got the water, People say to me, well, what are you going to do? You're going to have to have your own boat. I said, well, yeah, maybe that's not such a bad idea. We should have, we have to put our mind to a way of helping people be safe in an emergency because you know, all these towers, all this stuff, I, I, I'm, you know, it's not a good place to be anymore. So the, the, the infrastructure of the transportation is, is really, really basic. Re we will have, there are, there is technology of different kinds of transportation. Unfortunately, the powers that exist are the, the industry, you know, that exists right now doesn't want that competition, but it's there. And so I would work hard to actively get the alternative energy available to us working. And speaking about energy, another really big issue that's a very bad health situation for for everybody in the world, but in, in Vancouver in particular, we're facing the rolling out of the 5G technology, you know, which we don't need more faster, uh, more speed and things. We should be insisting that Vancouver is just fiber optic. That's very good, very efficient. We don't need the 5G. It's so damaging. There's so much information on the health. We'll have nothing but zombies. The fact that University of BC is going to be all 5G, somebody should rise up in arms over there and stop that. Those are our brains. People's brains are going to be damaged by that. Nothing. No, no, nobody's putting. Nobody's putting breath to these things. It's happening. It's out there, but the, 
the pieces aren't being brought together. The dots aren't being connected. So it's one of the reasons I'm doing this. I want to be able to talk about what I think, uh, what I think I know, and what I'm worried about. I mean, I have grandchildren. My age, I've lived a good life. I've done, I've lived well in Canada. I've benefited from all the good things that Canada has been that made it possible for people to move up. I'm very lucky. I'm very grateful. I'm thinking of my children and my grandchildren. It's a different world, and I don't want the world that right now is being shaped. I want it, I want it to be, we can restructure it. We can do it. Not easy, but anything that was easy was probably never really worth anything. Connie, I want to thank you so much for coming in and speaking with me today. Thank you so much for having me and letting me <laughs> express my views. Thank you. That's thank Connie you. Fogel, a Vancouver mayoral candidate running with Idea Vancouver. And that's it for our show. Thank you for listening to BIV today. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and listen to episodes at BIV.com. That's also where you'll find more business news. Thanks again for joining me. We'll be back tomorrow. 